Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Come and draw from the well of salvation. Be made clean, let Him wash you in truth. He is the fountain of living water. Come and be made new. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. He can refresh you in the desert where your sin left you lost on the brink. He is the fountain of living water. Come to Him, dear sinner, and drink. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Oh, life is something, isn't it? So utterly unpredictable. And things happen to us. Great disappointments come upon us. We feel utterly crushed, broken. 
But we rise up and we make choices and decisions and life continues. But not always the way it should continue. Sometimes those experiences turn our hearts angry and some of them break our hearts so that we don't recover. We live in sadness. We live in in sorrow. And then we have to fill that empty space with something. A family has a beautiful daughter. The pride of their life. She has an accident. And she's permanently disabled. And now you have to make a decision in the sorrow of that moment. Do we put her in an institution or do we bring her home and dedicate our lives to taking care of this daughter who will never recover? And where's God in this? And in the sorrow, they're good church people, very active in the church. But now in the sorrow, he pulls back. How could Jesus let this happen to him? And so he buries himself in his sorrow. in the television, finds himself watching everything. But then he also buries himself in a couple of movies a day. Mama, on the other hand, buries herself in the wine bottle. Oh, they're very active at church. But when they come home, their hearts are so empty and so sorrowful that she eats herself until she's heavy, and he drinks himself on the television. And they live in sorrow. And where is the hope? Do they believe that Jesus can heal their daughter? Are you kidding me? No. That's not a part of their church. And so life is slowly sliding downhill as they age and they have more health issues. What do they do? How do they manage? How do they get through this terrible tragedy in their heart? Well, you may not have a child that you loved that was injured beyond repair. But you may have had tragedy in your life, the tragedy of rejection. 
of being cut off, of being judged, and a heart filled with sorrow. Now, what are you going to do? That bitter root can cause a great deal of trouble in your life. You know that person didn't intentionally hurt you, but the hurt is still very real. And you have to live with it. Or do you? The scriptures are clear. Cast all your cares upon Jesus. But come on, we live in a real world with real consequences. And the pain and the suffering of those consequences drive us to decisions. Or we just don't want to make a good choice. I know people who have all of their life made the wrong choices. They've made the wrong choices about who they marry. They marry the wrong kind of person. They make decisions about the lust of their heart for for things. They just continually make the wrong choice, and yet they're very sorrowful about it. They don't live happy, productive lives. Their hearts are broken because of the choices they made. It's very plain. We all have a road to to walk. And is that road going to take us into the paradise of God? Or is that road that we choose going to take us straight into hell? Now, we don't go just straight into hell. We make it with choice after choice after choice after choice. And some people, for some reason, will just be guaranteed to make the wrong choice. It's as though they have no perception of of where the future is going to take them. And so they do stupid things without wisdom, without God. Well, I have a story today to talk about, painful story. It's not a, it's not a happy clap clap story. It's a story about a king, Belshazzar. Belshazzar, as a young man, lived in the king, in the king's palace. He he was a part of King Nebuchadnezzar's family. He was in line to be the next king. I'm not sure what all the family connections were. But they were real. And he watched what Nebuchadnezzar went through. He watched as God took his mind away for seven years. 
He heard Nebuchadnezzar's confession of trust and faith in Daniel's God. But he distanced himself from Daniel. Daniel's just an exile from Judah. He downplayed who Daniel was, the direct emissary from heaven for his salvation. But he was not interested. He was one of those who always made the wrong choice. And on this occasion, he decided to give a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and and drink wine with them. That was noble, wasn't it? A party to drink wine. I know people who do such things. They have wine parties or, or beer parties. I was once asked to say a blessing for a, a beer party. Well, Belshazzar's drinking his wine, and it's kind of dull. There's not much action going on. So he gets the bright idea to order all of the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his his predecessor, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. That had never been allowed under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a great fear of the God of heaven. Well, the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines said, let's get them and let's really party down. So they brought in the gold goblets direct from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines were drinking from them and they were laughing uproarious. Up, how do you say it? Uproariously? One man responded to yesterday's broadcast with such cynicism and such wickedness. He was like Belshazzar. Well, they drank the wine, and then they began to worship. They began to praise the the gods they served. How much money they had in the gods of gold and the gods of silver and bronze and iron and and wood and stone, they were worshiping. What a wonderful place we have, and what beauty, and what grandeur. Suddenly the party was broken up, and everyone became terrifyingly silent. A hand showed up with fingers, a human hand, a huge hand. And it began to write on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in a prominent place in the party room. Thousand people there. 
And here this hand is writing on the plaster wall. This is all taking place in the royal palace. As the king watched the hand as it wrote, he could not read what it was writing. It did not make sense to him. His face turns pale. He's frightened. Obviously, this is a a powerful being who can just appear and write on his wall. Soldiers don't know what to do. They can't capture this person. His knees began to knock together. And then it says very kindly, his legs gave way. In other words, he, he peed his robe. He was terrified. Well, King Belshazzar, it's a little bit late to be terrified. You knew what you were doing was wrong. Nebuchadnezzar would never have allowed this to take place. You knew it was poor judgment, but you wanted to get the, get the party going. And you'd do anything you needed to do to crank up the party. It was in your honor. You want to be somebody. The king watched the hand as it wrote. And the king called out as the hand now was removed. And in burning figures, the wall, everyone can see, but no one can read. So he called for the enchanters and the astrologers, the diviners, all the wise men of Israel, I'm sorry, the wise men of Babylon, he brought them together. And he said, whoever can read this and tell me what it means will be clothed in purple. That's royal clothing. Have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. All the king's wise men came in. And then they started doing a lot of shuffling. They could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So the king became even more terrified. His face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. There would come bursts of of conversation in in the hall. People were very concerned. This was at their party. Did it concern them? Well, there was a lot of uproar. And the queen mother, hearing the voice of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall to see what all the excitement's about. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Unlike you, Belshazzar, it looks like you have no wisdom and you have no intelligence. She didn't say that to him, but that was what was inferred. 
King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, which was the name of his god, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. He'll tell you what the writing means. Daniel was brought into the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? Oh, he's doing his best to be the king and put him down. I've heard the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read the writing and tell me what it could mean, but they could not explain it. Now, I've heard that you have an ability to give interpretation and to solve difficult problems. If you can read the writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel answers the king. You may keep your gifts for yourself. You don't talk to a king that way. But Daniel does. He's earned that place of authority in that family. Belshazzar is trying to write him off as just, okay, you've got some intelligence. But he doesn't recognize that he's connected with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Boy, we need to know how to connect God's people with God. Give your rewards to someone else. In other words, nothing you have will mean anything to me. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king, and I'll tell him what it means. Now he gives Belshazzar a lecture. That also is not done. Nobody lectures a king. He's the mighty one. But in this case, Belshazzar is frightened enough that he will put up with a lecture. And the lecture is most informative. O king, we're looking at Daniel, the fifth chapter, verse 18. O king, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness, glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the people and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to spare, those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and gave the mind of an animal to him. I'm sure Belshazzar had gone out 
on his royal horse to see if he could see Nebuchadnezzar out of his mind. But it never occurred to him that he could be out of his mind and that he could pay a price for his arrogance. Arrogant people usually don't think they're arrogant. They think they're entitled. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until they acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. Just stop there, man. We Americans don't acknowledge a sovereign. We are a free people. We're really not free anymore. The government has slowly absorbed us and taken us in. The great sadnesses of my heart is to see the American freedom utterly destroyed. But our sovereignty is just a man, a president. We don't call him a king. It's a cadre of men. It's a, it's a web of men who are exceedingly arrogant and bold and dangerous. But Daniel goes on, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Just a brief comment. America has set itself up against the God of heaven. both individuals, corporations. We can do any wickedness we want to do, and no one can touch us if we have money. There's a pride, a wickedness. And I have to tell you, I found that pride in my own heart. Thinking I'll do what I need to do, I'll be responsible. But bottom line, I'm in charge of my life. And the call of this broadcast is for you to recognize that you are not in charge of your own life. And you can do whatever you want to do to try to take control of your life. But essentially, you don't have any control. Oh, you can make decisions and you can make good and bad decisions. But in the end, the power over whether you live or die will rest in the hands of the Almighty God of heaven. They will not rest. That decision will not rest in your hands. The God of heaven is watching. He sees what you do. He sees where you go. He sees what you say. He sees the arrogance of your heart. He sees whether or not you will put your trust in him. And most Americans are not putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're putting their trust in their own business, 
ability. They're putting their trust in their money. And now we're in a process where God is beginning to take away the money of America. And he's going to utterly crush the finances of this nation and the Western world. We're in trouble. The God of heaven is not going to put up with the arrogance of America or the Western world anymore. He's going to bring America to its knees. We are going to be crushed and burned. And the question, of course, is, As all of this is taking place, are you going to make the right decisions or are you going to make the wrong decisions? Are you going to moan and groan and blame and be angry and bitter? Or are you going to turn utterly and completely to Jesus and say, Lord, I trust you. I belong to you. You're in charge of my life. And I repent of my pride. I repent of my arrogance. I belong to you, Jesus. Daniel goes on. Belshazzar wants him to just be quiet. But he also needs to know what the message is. O Belshazzar, you have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this about about Grandpa Nebuchadnezzar or Uncle Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know which it was. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the golden goblets from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them, and you praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all of your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the following inscription. Please take a moment, understand what I just said. Daniel is saying that God holds in his hand your life and your ways. This is the inscription, Mini Mini Tickle Barsa. And this is what the words mean. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You are finished. You will die. God has made a decision about you. You have been weighed on the scales and found 
to be a lightweight. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. What terrifying words. Do you understand? You're driven by life circumstances. Your husband dies, your wife dies, your child dies. You get fired. Precious friends cut you off and and treat you with scorn. And your life is then driven by those decisions that others have made. And you try to salve the soreness and the hurt and the bloody brokenness in your heart by making decisions. And those decisions are either going to be the right decisions or they're going to be the lightweight decisions. They're going to be the wrong decisions. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. He's brought you to an end. You're going to die. You've been weighed on the scales and found to be a lightweight. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Your kingdom is divided and you've either been given life or hell. God judges you a lightweight, you will be given hell. And your world will end. Then at Belshazzar's command, he still thinks he's king. He's just been told his kingdom has ended, but he's still going to play king. Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Well, how did he do that? Well, the Euphrates River ran right down through the middle of Babylon. Some smart engineers figured out some distance away there was a great swamp. So they diverted the waters of the Euphrates River into that swamp. And then they came marching under the wall because the river ran right under the wall. And suddenly it was stopped. And they could Everybody's drunk. Everybody's been having a good time. But that night, the Medes... And the Persians took over Babylon. And they killed they killed this arrogant 
wicked king who dishonored the Lord God of heaven. Now, let me talk about this in some very practical ways. You're making decisions. Are they wise decisions or are they foolish decisions? Are they decisions for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Are they decisions for you as the master of your life? It frightens me when I look at what's happening in the church today. It frightens me to see the way the church has become a business. It frightens me. It terrifies me. Because I know judgment starts in the house of the Lord. And I know the judgment has started in the house of the Lord. Many pastors are going to be exposed and removed. Many churches will close. Because God has weighed them in the balance and found them to be lightweight. What is a what is a lightweight? It's a person who who walks without integrity, a person who is proud and arrogant, a person who cannot be trusted. A person who has their own set of desires and goals, and they are there, the goals to serve him, not the church, and not other people. He's not a man or woman of compassion or mercy. He's a man or woman of judgments and bitterness. Anger. I'm not going to forgive. And out of the decisions, or not even out of the decisions, things will happen in your life. And instead of that tragic issue, a wife or husband that's sick, a child that dies, you turn in your heart to what will comfort you. Well, what will comfort you? Bottle of wine? The gaming world? We have a whole plethora of things that people turn to now to comfort them. Golf. Basketball. Baseball.
we have a whole number of things, hobbies, especially the the video gaming. The entertainment. Oh, let's go travel. I met a woman once. In fact, we had dinner together. She began to tell me about her life. She had two boys that were in their late 20s. She was very proud of them. And they were both gay. Her husband had died. And what she really wanted to do was just go travel. She'd seen me, didn't know me, but said, I want to go travel. Do you want to do that? I'll pay for it. I have lots of money. I said, I'm sorry. I can't do that. I have a trip that I'm planning now. It's a trip to a place called heaven. You want to come and go with me? No, no, I'm going to travel here. Oh, okay. Would you respect my two sons? You mean would I accept them? No, not in their sinful condition. Oh, that almost caused an explosion. (laughs) No. By God's grace, I don't want to make any more foolish decisions in my life. I want to make decisions that that have been ordered by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to honor the mighty Savior, King Jesus. I'm not interested in in your travel. I'm not interested in taking all the cruises. I'm interested in a trip to heaven. I'm interested in being a heavyweight, not a lightweight. What makes me a heavy? Only the blood of Jesus Christ. As it washes and cleanses me, of turns, turns my heart toward heaven. All of that is the blood of Jesus. We need to make a choice. A choice of choices. Belshazzar, I don't know what happened to him. I don't know why he so totally turned against Nebuchadnezzar. But it's really clear. He was against the God of heaven and he was for the God of gold and silver and the gods of wood and stone. He made his choice. And then God had to make his choice. And his choice was to take him off the throne and have him killed. And in fact, to have the next kingdom of the world to step onto the stage 
you know, you look at at all of this, you can't begin to imagine that all of this was chance. History is not chance. The United States of America was not chance. It was something that the God of heaven established. And then Americans made the wrong choices and turned against the Almighty God. Christians made the wrong choices and they went for power. Who could pile up the most brush in a beautiful sanctuary, but they lacked the ability to ignite it with the Holy Spirit? Choices. Decisions. Weighed in the balance and found wanting, found to be a lightweight. Who are you? Have you chosen Jesus over the world? That's how we become not lightweights. Not by making foolish choices about all the entertainment we want and all the sexual lust we want and and to be considered someone beautiful and handsome and no that's all foolishness oh i don't want to do that i'd be uncomfortable doing that wrong choice The choice for heaven is an uncomfortable choice, but it's the right choice. It's the choice where Jesus comes and blesses us with his presence. And, may I add, and heals us. He hasn't healed me yet, but he will. And I have to make a decision as I walk out this brokenness in my body. Do I believe that Jesus, in fact, will heal me? Yes. Why? Because he said he would. I have his promises. So I trust him. Do you trust him? Have you cried out before God concerning that broken son or daughter? I mean, really cried out. Have you cried out for that husband who's so sick? Have you sought the Lord for your wife? I don't mean pleasant little prayers. I mean heavy prayers, getting down to the real issues. How do you stand with Jesus today? Do you trust him for your healing of mind, body, and spirit? Do you trust him with your future? Have you been making the wrong choices and are you willing today to turn that around and make the right choice? Are you willing to make a choice for Jesus? and cast all of your burdens upon him and trust him? When you wake up in the morning and you feel more tired than the night before, you wake up in the morning 
your body hurts, are you going to trust Jesus? Have you made those choices? Some of you, some of you have. I praise God for you. You're great encouragers to my heart. I pray I'm a great encourager to your heart. Look, I'm not going to just come on this broadcast and teach wonderful theology. No, it's got to be it's got to be a a place where the rubber hits the road, where it's the truth of where I live and where I walk. And I tell you what, Jesus is everything to me. Why do I do this broadcast year after year after year with almost no result? Because I'm not the judge of the result. Jesus is. He told me to do it. Why do I do it? Because I love Jesus. It's not for personal gain. There's no personal gain in it. I do it because I love Jesus, and I chose the right choice to obey him, to walk in fellowship with him. Have you made that choice to totally turn over to Jesus your soul, your body, your future, the past? your sins, you've turned it all over and you've asked Jesus to use his precious blood to forgive you and restore you and give you a new life. That's what I've asked Jesus to do for me. And he's done it and he's doing it. Well, I want to pray for some of you. Lord, I just know that today there are some people listening who've had some very hard things happen to them in their life. The loss of a baby, the loss of friends, a serious injury. But Lord, I'm asking that those precious ones who identify with me would reach out to you, Jesus, right now and would say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to wait upon you. You alone are the king of kings. You alone hold my life, my ways, my future in your hands. I don't want to be a lightweight. I want to be a person who is totally given to you, Jesus, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, I don't. I don't in any way take away from that brother or that sister who is in such a painful place with a child injured, with a wife or husband dying. Lord, you know the pain of our hearts as we live on this earth. And I'm asking, please, right now, for that person who is in such a painful place Would you come with your glory and your majesty and would you touch them right now? Would you put your arms around them and lift them up and give them them courage 
and hope, for you are the hope of our hearts. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, I'm very grateful you listened to the broadcast today. That encourages my heart. I'd love to have you write to me. I'd love to have you help continue this work of gospel ministry. It's all by faith. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Pastor Ray Greenley, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box, 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. I thank each one of you who is so faithful in giving without even having your name advertised. Thank you. Nina, thank you. And thank you for the books. I pray the Holy Spirit will move in your heart and that if you're making poor decisions, you will begin today with a new decision to utterly give yourself to Jesus Christ. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. I'll talk to you soon.